The sermon text for today is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, the last chapter of the Gospel according to John. We have today's passage and then one more that will conclude the book. Today, let's look at chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, in which the disciples go fishing. But that's not the main point of the passage. Um, They meet someone while they're fishing. Uh, Let's go ahead and read chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, or said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for uh, declaring to us the good news of Christ's resurrection and salvation in him. We pray that you would bless this gospel to our, uh, to the growth of our, our faith, and for uh, our faith to hold on to, that you would work understanding and faith in each one of us, and that we might rejoice in the salvation that comes in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. These 14 verses, this passage, begins and ends in a similar way. Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. Again, this is the third time. The third time since he had been raised from the dead. It's important that he appeared to them. It's significant that he appeared to them because he had died. And dead people don't usually 
come to you and, and talk with you and eat with you because he was no longer dead. He was risen. He had conquered death. Uh, he had uh, satisfied divine justice. He uh, had paid the penalty for sin. He was released and he was risen. And he uh, appeared several times, uh, made himself known to his disciples so that they would be witnesses of the resurrection and therefore proclaim this to all the world, either by their own preaching or through the message written down, like we have here in the gospel, to the ends of the earth, that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, have life in his name. And so it's important that they record this, and they record it for you, that you might also believe uh, their testimony. Now, he did it this time. He came to them this time by the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was a freshwater sea or really, really, really large lake. Uh, probably better to think of it as uh, uh, a large inland freshwater sea, um, but not as big as the ocean. Uh, but uh, was there in the northern part of Israel in the land of Galilee. Verse 1 introduces the account by saying, and he revealed himself in this way. I forget the dimensions of the lake. It would be, it's not a large sea, but it's much larger than a lake, and was a place that they would often go fishing. And I think it's, uh, the text even points out that the way Jesus revealed himself to them was important, and he revealed himself in this way drawing attention to how he revealed himself, not simply that he revealed himself, an indication that there is some meaning in the way it happened. Now, who was there? Who was there? Were some of the disciples there? Were all the disciples there? Not all the disciples were there. There were seven disciples there. Um, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, we, we came across him at the beginning of this gospel uh, when, when he uh, talked to Jesus there and became his disciple. The sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, John being the author of this gospel, and two other disciples uh, that aren't mentioned. Now, since the author of this gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he is called, is later in the chapter revealed to be one of these seven. This is one of those passages that helps us to, to narrow down the identity of the author to confirm that, as its title says, um, that he was John, John the Apostle. Uh, like I said, James and John were the two sons of Zebedee. Uh, notice also, incidentally, not that it's terribly important for understanding the text, but my brothers and I are all named after disciples that were present here. You have Peter and John and Thomas and Nathaniel. Uh, and so personally an interesting passage. Um, but those were seven disciples that were here on this occasion. Why were they back in Galilee? Where were they last time? Do you remember what city they were in last time? They were in... Where were they? What city were they in last time? When, when, they when Jesus showed, them showed himself to Thomas, do you know what city they were in? Well, it actually doesn't say what city they were in. We presume they were still in the city, that they were in the first time he showed himself. 
Jerusalem, yes, yes. Um, they had been in Jerusalem when Jesus rose from the dead, but now they're in Galilee, far to the north. Why were they in Galilee? John doesn't tell us, but we know this from the other Gospels. Um, one example of several times where John skips over the details found in the other Gospels. Perhaps he figured his readers already knew this, either from the other Gospels that were out there or oral instruction that was also being given. But we know from Matthew and Mark that Jesus had told them to go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. I'll meet you there. That's in Galilee is where Matthew's you know, account of the Great Commission takes place, was in Galilee. They saw Jesus in Jerusalem on the day he rose from the dead, uh, probably that week later when, when uh, Thomas was among them. And then they're up in Galilee. They had traveled back because Jesus had told them to go there. Uh, the message was to go to Galilee, and that, then he come, appears to them in Galilee on this occasion, probably other occasions. And then, after that, they went back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, which was 50 days after Easter, after the Feast of First Fruits. Um, and uh, they went back to Jerusalem because Jesus had directed them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, for the Spirit. Uh, to come upon them. So all of this was being directed by Jesus, but John skips over some of those details in his account here, simply saying that they were by the Sea of Tiberias, and Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. So they were supposed to go to Galilee and wait for Jesus there. And while they're waiting, Peter decided to go fishing, and the others said, I'll go with you. Now they probably went out in the evening, because they fish all night. So they probably started at the beginning of the night. So as it was getting dark, Peter said, you know, I'm going to go out fishing tonight. And they go and fish all night without catching anything. I, I don't think we should blame them for going fishing. Some people uh, see this as, as a bad thing that Peter did. Uh, but I don't think that uh, we need to blame him. Even when Paul was on his preaching missions. He continued to work as a tent maker to, to make a, a living. Um, and they were there waiting for Jesus. And while they were waiting, they went fishing. But it is notable that Jesus came to them as he had originally found some of them. Another detail supplied by the other Gospels. John doesn't mention that he had called them while they were fishing, but some of the other Gospels recount how James and John and, and Peter and Andrew, they, they had been fishermen already, and Jesus had called them to make them fishers of men. I think the point the other Gospels make in their initial call, John is making in this resurrection appearance, that these fishers of fish were being called to become fishers of men for Christ. The kind of fishing they were engaged in that night did not use reels and rods and bobbers and hooks. That might be how you have gone fishing. Have you gone fishing like that? With a rod and reel and lure or bobber or hooks and worms, things of that sort? They didn't have any of that. Uh, they were commercial fishing. They were using big nets. They had a boat, and from the boat, they put big nets into the water, not a little hand net, but nets you cast into the water in hopes that you would catch a whole school of fish. Because they weren't just going to get their breakfast they were going to try to get fish that they could sell. Uh, that at least was the point of that style of fishing. 
they were casting nets into the sea. But did they catch a lot of fish that night? No. They caught zero fish that night. That night they caught nothing. And so you can imagine they're probably pretty tired in the morning. Uh, They've worked all night and caught no fishes. But right as it gets bright, as it gets light out there and they can see the shore now, there's a person on the shore. Jesus is there, but they don't know that it's Jesus. Jesus, how does he make himself known to them? Not initially by simply seeing him. They don't recognize him. They're about 100 yards away. They don't realize it's Jesus there. Even Mary, in her grief when she first saw Jesus, didn't realize it was him. Uh, This time they had seen Jesus before, twice already. But at that distance and on that occasion, they didn't recognize him at first. How did Jesus make himself known to them? It was through what happened next. He asked if they had any fish. They said no. He said, cast your nets onto the right side of the boat. Then you'll catch some. Well, now he's being put to the test. He said that they're going to catch some on that side of the boat. They put the nets there, and after catching nothing all night long, boom, they catch a bunch of fish. So much that strains the nets that they're hardly able to, to draw it because there are so many fish. And that's when they realize this is Jesus. Jesus has come back to us. Jesus has met us. That's Jesus. John is the first one. John was the first one to believe in the resurrection in John's account that he believed uh, when he saw the empty tomb. Now he also recognizes that it is the Lord. And then Peter responds with great joy and eagerness, or at least eagerness, because he dives in, he casts himself into the sea to make it back to shore to be there with Jesus. And then as they get there, Jesus tells them to bring their fish in. They haul 153 large fish, and yet the net was not torn. It's an interesting number. There might be some significance to it, but I'm not sure what it is. Different commentators have speculated about what you can do with it mathematically and what it might mean. But it is a lot of fish and a lot of large fish for a net to hold. And it at least means that. And then Jesus shares a meal with the disciples. In fact, when they came, he already had fish and bread and a a fire, a charcoal fire, the same kind of fire that Peter had warmed himself on the night of his denials. We'll get back to that probably next week. But Jesus then serves them. He gives them a meal of fish and loaves, just as he had done in that same region to the 5,000 earlier. And he ministers to them, and he shares a meal with them. Later, when Peter talks to Cornelius, and he'll speak of how Jesus appeared to them, that they could see that he had risen from the dead, and that we ate and drank with him. You see that in Luke's account. You see that in John's account, uh, that they knew that Jesus was risen from the dead. Now, what can we learn from this passage? I want to draw three things from this passage for your attention. First of all, should be obvious, this text teaches us that Jesus is risen from the dead. You've already heard that, but it's good to hear it again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He presented himself to them, as Luke says, by many proofs, again and again. Jesus did not appear to them just once, but here a third time. And that wasn't the last time either. Uh, wasn't a passing 
oh, I think I saw him over here. It wasn't a moment, right? Not a momentary vision, but a real-life encounter in which they talked with one another and had a conversation and shared a meal, and the food was gone. You know, it was a real thing, tangible. And it wasn't just to one of them. It wasn't that, you know, Andrew said, hey, hey, guys, I saw Jesus. But no, it was multiple times to multiple people. All the disciples are here, in, in this case, seven disciples from Paul's account in First Corinthians. I believe it says 500 people once at one time saw him, that this was uh, not some kind of hallucination or vision. This, Jesus truly was risen from the dead, and that's the testimony of these witnesses. And so Christ was risen. This was the sign, the ultimate sign that what he said was true, that he was the Son sent by the Father for the salvation of sinners, to bring us back to God, that he is equal with the Father and sent by the Father for this mission uh, to, to do the will of the Father, to bring the elect to salvation, that all those who believe in him uh, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That he had conquered sin and death, and therefore we can trust in him. And that he is currently risen and reigning uh, for your behalf, that he is interceding on your behalf, that he is still your prophet, priest, and king. So let's respond eagerly like, Pe- like Peter. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he cast himself into the sea so that he would waste no time in getting to his Lord. He came to Christ. Even though you and I cannot see Jesus, you have every reason to love and to rejoice. As Peter said, Peter himself said in his epistle, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That eagerness is good, that we that we come to Jesus eagerly, uh, with love, with joy. Second thing to note is that it is through the blessing of Christ that the church gathers people. Let me explain that. First, Jesus sent out his disciples, his apostles, as fishers of men. We know that from the other epistles, but I think in revealing himself to his apostles this way. He was showing them that it was through his blessing that they would bring in the harvest, that they would bring in the fish, that they would bring in people and draw them in to Christ. He sends them out to gather the people like fish. As he had said in the parable of the net, the kingdom of God is like a net in which the fish are gathered, except that the net is the gospel, and the fish are the people, and the gathering of fish is the church. The fishing continues throughout this age, and the apostolic gospel continues to gather people to God. We learn that it's only through Christ that the gospel is effective. All our efforts at fishing for men will prove ineffectual unless Christ blesses the effort. He is ultimately the one who uses the word, who uses the witness of his people to draw people to himself. And then it happens. Christ makes himself known, as he did then, by giving effect 
to his word. Having risen from the dead, he's now applying redemption to the elect, the redemption he purchased. He's giving it now, putting it into effect for the salvation of sinners. He gives his word, makes it effective, that it does what it's intended to do, that people respond to it and do not ignore it. He extends his kingdom throughout the earth. The Greek word for draw is used several times in the Gospel of John. One time it's used for drawing a sword, which I think is kind of incidental. I don't make much of that use. But the three other times that it's used in the Gospel of John, the first time it's no man comes to me unless the Father draws him in chapter 6, that it's God's grace that draws a person to Christ. And those who come to Christ will not be cast out. And then in chapter 12, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Not only the Father, but the Son. He's drawing people to himself. When he's risen, when he's at the Father's right hand, he'll draw people to himself, even as these fish were brought to him by the apostles. And then, of course, the word is used here in verse 6 and 11 in our passage, as the fish are drawn by the net into shore. So you and I, are brought to Christ by his grace and by the gospel. Learn that Christ will make his gospel effective through his word, through his ministers, through his church. Jesus will gather in a vast host of people, symbolized here by the 153 large fish. Not only can he make his word effective, but he will. Even though there might be times where it seems like the church is fishing all night and catching no fishes, Uh, Yet Christ will act, and Christ will carry out his plan to save the lost, to save a great host. And although there were so many, yet the net did not break. Uh, Christ will maintain and support his church and build it and preserve also every one of his elect to the end. No one can take them out of his hands. Those fish are secure, and they will be brought to him to Christ. It was remarkable to the disciples that the net did not break, and John recorded it. Of course, for us, it's a good thing to be caught in the net. Was it, you know, you could say, well, the fish weren't so happy about being caught. It's for, to be a fish and to be caught in the net doesn't mean so much good for the fish, right? You get killed and eaten, but that's not part of the analogy here. Um, It's good for us to be caught in the net and brought to Christ. Uh, The analogy breaks down if you press it too far. The gospel brings sinners to God. Notice also that the disciples caught the fish as they followed Christ's instructions. How did they catch the fish? They listened to Christ. He said, put it on the other side of the boat. They put it on the other side of the boat and they caught the fish. No doubt the disciples would remember this as they preached later on. Let's follow our Lord's instructions. He will be with us as we seek to disciple the nations. Let's follow his instructions and ask him and seek his blessing uh, upon this effort. And that's a lesson for the church today as well. So it's through the blessing of Christ uh, that the church gathers people unto him. Thirdly, Jesus invites people to come and ministers to them. When they got to land, they found that Jesus already had 
a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Then after they brought in their catch, he said, come and have breakfast. And then he gave them bread and fish to eat. The risen Lord is full of grace, inviting people to come to him, to have fellowship with him. He is not aloof, not standoffish. Uh, He is gracious and he is welcoming. Did he say, let the children come to me? Not on this occasion, there weren't children there. But he is the one who says, come, come and have breakfast. Uh, he, He served them the bread and the fish. He who was their Lord that he wishes to uh, serve them, minister to them. No one who comes to Jesus and believes in him will ever be cast out. He invites people to come to him, uh, to believe in him as the light of life, the bread of life. Even now he makes his home with his disciples through the Spirit. As the disciples drew the fish to Christ, So they and the church would draw people to Christ and to this fellowship with Christ. This fellowship is consummated at the end of the age. When all the fish are gathered, when the gospel is gathered in all the elect, the final judgment shall come. At the end of the age, all the fish are gathered and the disciples shall rejoice and feast with their Lord in the everlasting glory then you shall see him face to face. That is ultimately where this kingdom is headed and what we are drawing people to. So this was the third appearance where Christ uh, came to his disciples. It was a resurrection appearance on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is risen. He is risen from the dead. And now he is drawing people to himself. It's through his blessing that the people are gathered and that the church is blessed in its efforts to gather people, that the church itself is gathered unto Christ. He invites people to come and he ministers to them. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your kindness to us and showing your grace, making yourself known and the good news of your salvation. We ask that you would indeed continue to bless the efforts of your church uh, to make your word effectual to salvation, to gather in a great and vast people, that you would draw in the elect, that you would bring in the nations uh, to receive you and to find salvation and life in you. We pray for our friends or family or dear ones, those whom we may know and love who do not yet serve you, we pray that you would save them. Uh, We pray, Father, uh, that uh, you would bless your Son and his kingdom of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.